You're listening to episode 169 of the Marathon Running Podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk about running a marathon as a back of the packer. This is the Marathon Running Podcast by Letty and Ryan from We Got The Runs. Join us in our running community for weekly content that is motivational, educational, and inspirational, and let the Marathon Running Podcast take you from the starting line to the finish line and beyond. Hi, runners, and welcome to episode 169. My name is Letty. My name is Ryan. And we do our weekly podcast on all things marathoning, including we'll bring you experts on training, nutrition, mental health, and Anything else you can think of. Exactly. So thank you so much for tuning in. If you are subscribed to our podcast, if not, right now is the time I encourage you guys to do so. Also, we invite you to follow us along on our running journey on Instagram. We are at Running Podcast. Honestly, like we love the feedback. Anyone that gives us feedback, it can help us improve and make it better for everyone. Saying that too, this episode's all about a feedback that we got from somebody, right? That's right, Ryan. We received a note from somebody a couple of weeks ago who said, you guys always have excellent podcasts. However, you never interview the slower runners. You always bring us the fast runners, which is true because we want to provide you guys with training advice and all sorts of things. But yes, you don't want to exclude anyone. There's other people at all different stages of running, whether or not they're changing or improving or they're happy where they are or anything else. So in this episode, we're going to take that advice to heart and we're going to interview a quote-unquote back of the packer. And I always like to delve into the definition of words in order to like make sure we don't miss anything and that we're actually understanding it correctly. So you found a definition. I don't know if it's an official one, but at least it makes sense, the definition of back of the pack runner. And what is that? I did. A back of the pack runner refers to an individual who participates in a race, such as a marathon, and maintains a slower pace compared to the majority of other participants. So these runners, while their finishing times might be longer, they share the same determination, effort, and commitment as faster runners in achieving their personal goals and crossing the finish line. And taking that into consideration, Ryan, I think, and somebody who is really fast actually told me that they are much stronger runners if you think about the fact that they are out there as long as they are. Yeah. So as we talked about some of the challenges of running in a different portion of the marathon, um, you know, the longer your marathon takes, the longer you're on your feet and running around. And that actually is a challenge in itself. And puts on whole new stresses, probably more stress overall on the body than someone that runs quicker. Um, so that's definitely a challenge. And Yeah, absolutely. Especially because if you think about the lack of nutrition, they say you have to refuel every 45 minutes or so. So if you're a 2.30 marathon runner, and I'm talking two hours and 30 minutes, then that's it. The longest run you'll ever probably do in your training is a 20 miler, just like everyone else. So you're never really running for more than three hours, if I'm being generous. Whereas back of the pack means somebody who could even run as long as the course limit is open, as the course is open. So with that, you're talking six to eight hours in some events. And that's a long time on your feet. Yeah, and potentially more training time too, like more difficult and more time to train. Um, other things that I thought about too were, 
as we were running in the Stockholm Marathon, you could already see the amount of, you know, cups, debris, like food stuff on the track that was accumulated at all the, um, you know, stations that they had out. And you could imagine that just keeps accumulating over time. I think they pick it up, but they still, the amount of debris on the course accumulates over time. It makes it more dangerous technically or difficult. You could potentially slip or fall or anything. Yeah, that in combination of we hear about water stations or food stations running out of fueling, spectators leaving a little bit early. There's a lot of challenges. And so we brought on our guest. Our guest is Maria Bendek. She is a two-time world major marathon finisher. So she has those six stars. And I think she's had them twice already working on her third time. So she loves running. She's completely invested in the running community, loves running just as much as all of us do, if not more. And she talks to us about being a back of the packer and the challenges that come along with running in the manner that she runs. No, it does. Yeah, I can see how it's it's got its own challenges and unique. So it'll be interesting to delve into that. Yeah, and not just challenges, but also I'm sure to everything, there is also a beautiful side to it. I can imagine that if you're running at the back of the pack, you're running at a pace where you can likely still speak. And so you get to know a lot of people, which is You know, if you love the running community, that's a beautiful thing. I love running races and I love running some races where I'm not focused on running them fast. And then during the course, you can meet new people and it's just a different experience too. So are you ready to hop into our conversation? Let's do it. All right. So without any further ado, we're now going to play our conversation with Maria Bendek. So, all right, I'm back with Maria Bendek. Maria, thank you so much for joining me again. Thanks for having me, Lottie. Yes, and I'm glad that you agreed to come on to our topic today. And I'm going to call you a back of the packer today because you do finish marathons close to the closing time. So you're the perfect person to interview for that. So thank you for coming on. Well, that's my pleasure. I've been known to close down races and I take pride in that. So let's start with the challenges of back of the packers. So every group of marathoners has their own set of challenges. So maybe tell us a little bit about challenges of being a back of the packer. Well, there's a lot of challenges with being a, a back of the packer. I'll start with the general ones. Depending on which race, what marathon, you know, there's a time limit on the course. And sometimes that time limit is not necessarily set because the people want to go home, but it's because of the permissions they get from the city or counties that or towns that are hosting the race. They say you can only be open from X time to X time, and then they have to start making preparations to close um, down the race. So as a back of the packer, if you're trying to make it to the finish line and you're trying to stay motivated and you start seeing things being taken down, it's kind of sometimes disheartening, depending where your mental state is in the race. You see people uh, breaking down the decorations and just kind of leaving. So that can give you a sense of panic or of, you know, like, uh oh, I may not make it. Other things is that sometimes, unfortunately, they do run out of um, nourishment, you know, and this is why if you are a fast runner, don't be greedy and take multiple 
packets of uh, energy gels or whatever, because then when the back of the packers come, which are usually the ones that are in the greatest need of nutrition, they are the ones that unfortunately get to a stand and they say, oh, sorry, we're out. We ran out of Gatorade. We ran out of sports drinks uh, and sometimes even water. So those are really the main uh physical challenges, I think, that everyone encounters and mentally when you're seeing something being put away. Um, other challenges, and I think it gets better with the more experience and confidence you build, because definitely being a back-of-the-pack runner builds confidence, I think, is you can't get into a state of panic when you see people going faster than you and passing you. Um you need to stay calm and always remember it's your race, your pace. You have your own set of goals and not be comparing yourself on the course when you're seeing people passing you or going faster. So, wow, that's a lot to deal with. And like I said, a completely different thing than a lot of us think about when we try to run our fastest time and are not towards the end of a race. Maybe elaborate a little bit more about being taken over by the race sweepers and handling those pressures related to cutoff times. Maybe also let us know how long races normally give you guys to go. Well, it's quite different. Each race is different. Um, so that's why before you start out in any race, any distance, know the cutoff times, whether it's a half marathon, full marathon. When, And it also depends on the course director like for example if you run london or new york which i highly encourage first time back of the packers to run it's kind of like almost open all day and there even though there are time cutoffs the course does stay open they do give you a medal they do give you a finish time usually so those are nice races so you can be in a more relaxed atmosphere if you are running something like chicago it's like middle of the road where they do have a cutoff, but it's not exactly on the dot. And then when you get to races like Berlin and Boston and Tokyo, those definitely have strict cutoffs. Um, with Berlin, there's sometimes wiggle room, but they usually around the 6, 15 hour mark, they start closing the gate and if you, the Brandenburg gate. And if you don't get to that gate, then that's it. It's game over. Um, with Boston, they may leave the course open, but you won't get an official time. You'll get a medal. So for some, it's just running the course, not necessarily getting the official time. But if you're trying to get the Abbott World Major Six Star, then you do need an official time and you need to be conscientious of that. The problem with Boston is even though they say it's a six hour time limit, it's six hours from when the last runner starts the marathon and that's kind of hard to predict sometimes because some years the waves go by fast the start waves and some years they go slow so it's always you know plan on doing it in six hours the nice thing about boston that they did this year is that they did shut off the race at x amount but they still left the clock running so people that cross still got a time even though it wasn't official and Abbott was actually gracious enough to accept those times, even though they're not going to be in the official finishers. So they did get um, their six star. And I know I just went off on a tangent. And then with Tokyo, again, you have a very strict cutoff. And uh, what makes that course and most uh, 
Eastern marathons tend to be like this is that they do checkpoints. So it's not necessarily a start to finish cutoff. It's every X amount of kilometers they have a cutoff. And if you're not at that kilometer by that cutoff, then you don't finish. And it can go all the way to where you only have maybe five kilometers left in the race. And if you don't make that cutoff point, you still don't finish. And I've seen that happen, you know, unfortunately, when I run uh, Tokyo. And in that race, they used to have the balloon uh, sweepers that run behind you, kind of like Disney. But for whatever reason, this year, which was the first year they came back to mass participation after the pandemic, they no longer had that uh, sweepers. So you really had to be aware of the cutoffs and where to be uh, each kilometer. So you're basically saying that if you are a back of the packer and you're planning on running a marathon, inform yourself on the procedures. You could either have a certain course limit that starts, the clock starts ticking with the last person crossing the starting line. Wow. And then after that, the course may or may not close at a certain time. So I'm assuming in some races you have to run on sidewalks. On others, you don't. And then some races that you cross the finish line get an official time. Some leave the clock open. Others let you cross the finish line, but you don't get a medal. That, so that's that's really a lot. So how do you deal with all of that? Because in the end, you run a marathon because you want to complete it. And I'm assuming also you want to have a medal. Well, yes, I think all the races give you a medal. I think what, what defers is whether you get a race time or not. So some people are running for fun and don't care about the race times. Others, again, if you're uh, you know chasing the six stars, you do need an official race time. It used to be that way. But again, this year, Abbott with Boston, because Boston is the one that tends to trip up runners, is that as long as the clock was running and you got a time, whether it was official or not, they counted it. Whereas Tokyo, they won't do that. They'll, they say you have three hours to get to this point. If you're not there in three hours, they start pulling a rope and they cut off the course and that's it. You don't keep moving. So you can get cut off as early as at the 7.1 kilometer marker. Which is absolutely crazy because you just traveled that far and spent that much money on your lodging, hotel, flight, and the race just for that to happen to you. And I saw people, unfortunately, in my first year in 2018 when I ran Tokyo get cut off like around, you know, mile marker 23. Now imagine making it to 23, having 3.2 miles left and getting cut off. That's heartbreaking. That's why it's important to be aware of what are the rules of the course don't make assumptions because just like in law and the ignorance of the rules doesn't excuse you or give you a break. Yeah. Yeah. But then imagine the pacing when you're already tired and trying to figure that out, which is something that you dealt with in Tokyo. So maybe tell our listeners a little bit about how that happened, because I remember you were talking to someone, Robert Wang, who's been on the show before, who was literally having to coach you, through what times you needed because he knew the times and you weren't really aware of what was being posted. Correct. So I had run Tokyo before, so I knew there were mile markers or kilometers because in Tokyo it's by kilometers. The difference was that I kind of didn't memorize the times this year because I was kind of relying on the golden balloon runners that are the sweepers. And so I just figured and everybody said, 
you know, don't let the balloon people pass you and you'll be fine if you see them speed up. So I kind of just went with that mentality because going to Tokyo this year, I had actually been injured prior and it was a non-running injury. So it was a miracle that I was even allowed to run and I knew I was under train. So I just said, well, I know I can outrun the balloon runners if I see them. Again, why you should be prepared because this year they didn't have the balloon runners. So I was running during the course, you know, me and Robert Wang are good friends. So he had in the beginning been checking on me and I was doing a good pace. So he kind of thought I was on track. But as I kept running and started getting more fatigued, I said, this is weird that I haven't seen the balloon runners because usually around now they should be appearing. And so, and I was seeing stations being close to getting cut off and no balloon runner. So that's when I texted Robert to ask him how I was doing. And that's when we realized that I had fallen short on my pace. And that's when he started. Luckily, he's quick and agile and knowledgeable doing pace calculations for me. And it turned to a team sport, really, because I had the little ear pierce a piece. And he was like, basically texting me what I needed to do, but it would talk into my ear. And so basically he calculated my paces and it was hard because uh, as you know, we discussed, I was already going slow. So I had to go from going slow to going really fast, literally faster than I normally run. So I had to start doing positive splits, but that's where it comes down to how much do you want it? How willing are you to dig deep for something because i am a firm believer that the body can achieve what the mind believes and i knew because i had a second avid six star in the line and there was no way i was not going to leave tokyo without that star and that is why i dug as deep as i could and i pushed which again comes down to sometimes and i'm kind of jumping into another topic your mind is kind of what limits you. I know I can run fast if I want. The thing is, sometimes I train myself to say, oh, it's time for, I like to do the run-walk method. So I say, oh, it's time to take my walk break. It's time to smell the roses. But really, if I stay focused and really want to push myself, I am capable of running fast. I love this. Awesome. Yeah, so I was following that conversation on Facebook because, of course, Robert had posted it on there and I was crossing my fingers for you because I just was like, wow, she just traveled all the way to Tokyo for this race. And how awful would it be, you know, to not accomplish a goal when you're already traveled this far? So you're mentioning about how you know you can run fast if you want to. So maybe let's talk about that mindset a little bit for our back of the packers. Maybe tell us dealing with comparison and self-worth between back of packers and other faster quote unquote marathoners? Well, because first of all, you have to analyze why are you running? Why are you doing this? Like for me, it's about being out there, being physically active. I think it's important to be physically active. It's how you age with grace. Um, you don't necessarily have to be running marathons or half marathons. You just need some kind of activity. I like running. So, I think you need to analyze, like, why are you running? And whatever your ra reason for doing it, it's okay. If you want to do it because you want to break a record, you want to be a fast runner, that's okay. But then what you need to do is analyze 
what are the wins after you do a training session or you finish a race. And you need to start focusing on the positives. Like, again, for me, it's about being out there. I like the social aspect. I meet so many interesting individuals throughout my journeys that contribute to just widening my world, my views and understanding of the world. So that's one of the aspects that I enjoy about running. And I also like community building and connecting people. So to me, it's much more than running the physical 26.2 miles. So I embrace that. Are there runners that are skinny or faster or look cuter? But to me, it's not about physical appearances. It's not about paces. But that's because I've become comfortable in my own skin because it kind of goes back to you have to look at the whole package. If you're judging yourself on one trait, then you're never going to be really happy. There's variable traits to you. There's your intellect. There is your personality. There's your humor. There's your speaking skills. There is your physical appearance. And you can't, we're not going to be perfect in all those areas. So you need to pick the whole package and celebrate the whole package because when you look at the whole package, that's how you become unique and different than others. I love this answer. So let's talk about, well, goal setting and how to maintain a steady pace. How do you prepare before the marathon to do that, given that you'll be out there so much longer than most runners that are in the front of the pack? How do you deal with that? Because as you alluded to earlier, your nutrition on the course might look different because everything has been taken and trampled over and all that? Well, I'm a firm believer that you should carry whatever you think you're going to need for the race. Um, be realistic. You know, don't overpack because when you overpack, that's more stuff you have to carry. So that is why you should kind of have a nutrition strategy and plan on carrying everything you need. Don't be relying that, oh, I'm going to have that at mile 16, mile 20, whatever. You carry what you need. Um, and then it depends on the race. Like to me, if I know it's a, a very time strict course that I really need to finish by X amount of time for whatever reason, then that's usually when I implement a run walk strategy. Because for me, the run walk strategy from Jeff Galloway is very successful. And I actually have run faster doing the run walk than doing straight running. Because what happens is when you take that walk break, it helps with the lactic acid going in your legs. It gives you that short rest. And then you come back and you can run and maintain an even pace, believe it or not. But you do have to pay attention to this is my walk break, this is my run, and, and keep the intervals consistent. Um, other marathons, like I said, like London, New York, they're so time generous. The crowd support stays out there all the time. And it's just such a fun marathon that I want to absorb um, the environment. It doesn't matter how many times I run it. It's just always such a joyful experience that I kind of just run as I feel. You know, I, I just take it as I feel and enjoy the experience. I don't stress myself out in those marathons. And that's why, again, I always encourage first-time marathoners or slower runners to start with those so you can build that confidence without the time pressures. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. 
And with that, tell us about your training, because I know your training takes a longer time than another marathoner's training because you are doing the run-walk method. So how do you balance that at your, you know, your life with work? And also, what do your peak weeks look like? Well, this is what I am changing now, because to be honest with you, I, when I first started running marathons in 2012, I bought this book called Run Your First Marathon, and it kind of just told you to run as you feel and never really got into the in-depth and breakdown of running. So I just always trained to run as my, as I feel, and I never gave consideration to all these terms, peak running, peak week, uh, you know, base pace and all this. And then when I got into some running teams, you know, one of them being Team Ultra and we were being coached, they would use terminology that I wasn't familiar with, uh, you know, like this should be your um, like uh, fast day or this should be your slow day or this should be this. And so it was kind of like, okay, what are they talking about? And that's when I decided, well, the only way that you can empower yourself is with knowledge. So I said, I'm going to go and learn about running. So I took a Roadrunners Club of America course and I became RRCA certified, not because I plan to start a coaching business, but more to empower myself with knowledge and then help others who also want to run when they ask me questions that I can answer intelligently. And it was a very eye-opening course. I learned a lot. I learned about the training cycles, the micro-meso cycles, and I learned that if you really do want to improve your running, whatever that goal is, you have to run with intention. It can't be just put on your running shoes and go out and just go for a run. You have to have particular days. You have to have your long runs, your medium runs, and you do need to have some speed work. And so this training cycle now, as I'm getting ready for a couple of marathons this fall, I am implementing trying to do those strategies and hopefully actually do improve my time because it is, even though I'm not complaining, it would be nice to finish faster so you can join the festivities with your friends. I have very kind friends that tend to hang out and wait for me to finish. And I appreciate that, but it would be nice to not make them wait. So yes, I am now training with intent. That's not to say that other people who run slow are not training with intent because sometimes we do have physical limitations that no matter how hard we try, we can't do it. But there's always ways to fine tune or tweak your training that you can always improve. There's always room for improving improvement at any pace or any age. I love it. Thank you, Yana. I, like you, took that same class for the exact same reason, just to empower myself with knowledge. And uh, it really does put stuff into perspective a lot. And again, like you not saying that no, that anybody has the need to improve their time, just run in your happy place if that's what you want to do, because everybody has different goals. So with that, let's talk about the positive things of being a back of the packer. You have probably a lot of experiences that we don't have because when we run, we're up there and we're miserable and we're suffering. And it would be nice to maybe have a race where we could have other enjoyments. Not to say that your pace doesn't make you miserable at times, but I think there's a lot more camaraderie and happiness with the back of the Packers. Is that correct? That is 
Correct. I think there's joy in all parts of the marathon and at all paces, but as a back of the pack runner, yeah, you're absolutely correct. You find camaraderie. And to me, like when I ran my first marathon Paris in 2015, you know, at that time I was suffering from IT band syndrome. And so I was struggling during the marathon. And at the end, there was another lady from London who was there and we started talking and we crossed the finish line together. And to this day, we're like lifelong friends. She actually ended up being a good friend. Uh, when I go to London, you know, we meet up and, you know, we're in constant contact. She has a wealth of knowledge, not just about running, but about life. Uh, so you make friends like that. And then there's something rewarding about supporting others in the race, because during my first marathon, you know, I learned and this is where I use for our running community, the Fabulous Friends Fellowship is we're a quote tap on the shoulder because I remember when I started my first marathon in Paris, I was injured, stressed, not knowing what to expect. And when you start running and that pain starts kicking in and you kind of go to a slow walk and you don't know if you're going to continue and then someone taps you on the shoulder it was like some stranger you never met or will see again. But that little tap, it just gave you that little bit of encouragement to keep going. And that's kind of something I utilize now when I'm back of the pack. I want to be the tap on the shoulder to these people. You know, I'll tap them, I'll, I'll encourage them because you don't know what level of experience that they have, whether they're doubting that they can finish or not, or maybe like me, I'm confident that I know I can finish because I've done it before and I know my mindset, but not everybody is like me. So it's very fulfilling. And just this past Boston, you know, I, you, you know, when you're an avid six star finisher and you're doing your last race, you put on this uh, bib on the back that says, cheer me on today's the day. And it shows that you're trying to finish your last marathon. And I saw this one individual who was struggling and I knew the cutoff time was approaching for her and I was getting nervous more for her than me. And I told her, come on, you can do it. And I, I told her that famous saying, you know, right on Hereford and left on Boylston, you're almost there. And when I told her that she sped up and did it and got her six star. So the fact that I was able to help her and push her when she was kind of really struggling to finish those last three miles and achieve something as momentous as a avid six star was very fulfilling for me because later in the world majors um, group on Facebook, she was there. And then we got to actually physically connect and know who each of us was. So those are the rewarding experiences, friendships, connections, that you make with people. And then sometimes, unfortunately, uh, I end up playing medical doctor on the field because also these are the runners that are more likely to end up passing out or having something happen, as was famously captured in the New York City Marathon last year. We were on the Queensboro Bridge and someone passed out. And obviously I stopped because the medical staff was, for whatever reason, there wasn't enough medical people there on the bridge. And you know, we helped this one runner and we actually were able to successfully get him back on his feet, stabilize him. And he actually finished the running and we still keep in touch. So those are the positive experiences. Obviously, not everybody's equipped to stop and be a medical personnel on a marathon, but that has happened to me case on certain cases.
I mean, that's really awful. Uh, awful that that happened and awesome that you were able to help this guy. But I absolutely love your answer. And I love that you found the silver linings, which, you know, I honestly have to say the races where I don't go all out because I'm 40 and I feel like eventually we all slow down and my love for running goes beyond being fast. The races where I slow down are the ones that I feel like I enjoy most because you are at a pace where you could potentially speak with other people and the sense of community that you can feel for the runners is just amazing. So is there anything else that you want to say to back of the Packers to keep them encouraged and going and keep showing up? Yeah. Just always remember that. Don't forget about the joy of running. Don't forget your why, why you're doing it. Always make sure you're enjoying something and the running shouldn't be used as a punishment. And just always remember at any race, it's always your race, your pace. All right, Maria, thank you. And I'm looking forward to seeing you hopefully in the next three, four races that we both plan on doing. Yes. And um, yeah, so thanks again for coming on. Thanks for having me, Letty. Thank you, Maria, for speaking with us. It's great to have something new and different or a different insight in the, on running on the podcast. And it was beautiful to hear about the silver lining of being a back of the packer. And as we all age, I think if we keep running, eventually we will also be back of the packers because I can't see myself not running in my life. So if I'm 90, I'll be out there. <laughs> yeah, I think it's good to take joy in whatever, you know, I think the majority of all people are not going to be winning the marathon. So I think you just enjoy wherever you're at. It's the best method. I agree. All right. So that's it for today. Stay tuned for next week's episode where we will have our conversation with a coach talking about intervals and how to implement the right type of intervals at the right time of your marathon training cycle. Cool. So hopefully people are excited as we are to hear next week's episode. Exactly. So let us know what you think about this episode. If you have any suggestions for our episodes, please drop us a note. We are at Running Podcast on Instagram and you can also reach us via our website, www.marathonrunningpodcast.com. And with that, have a good week of running. Thanks for tuning in. For more information, head to www.runningpodcast.us. And as always, have a great week of running.